Hello travelers of the fifth dimension, I'm Vieno and I'm Eric. And this is That's Not Fair, a queer Twilight Zone podcast, where two queers are watching through all of the Twilight Zone franchise and desperately trying to use our literature degrees for something. Yes. Indeed. And we have made it to our second episode. Ooh. No more pilots for us. No more pilots. Yes. This is the first time we're actually recording this episode this time, so, you know. <laughs> I mean, some pilots then, I suppose. Pilot well, of recording the second episode. Well, no, this the is just the second episode. <laughs> this is not the yeah, pilot true. for the second episode. This is, this is it. Yeah. If you fuck up... Maybe I don't know what pilots are, just in general. I have a tenuous grasp on what words mean. I am shocked. Yeah. I am shook, dear <laughs> listeners. I am shook. <laughs> Anyhow, how are you, Eri? I am diseased. Uh, I'm very sick at the moment, and I hope it doesn't uh, come through in my voice. I have a trip in three days. And I'm desperately trying to get well, because if I have to cancel it, I'm going to scream. But I'm good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Other than that, doing fine, doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing all kinds of creative things. I uh, had a cat visit me for a few days. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she was great. She was a dear. A good house guest. Yes, and I've started going for walks again, and yeah, a lot of creative stuff. Gonna write a novel next year, mm. just like Boop. Oh, yeah. And if you're listening, dear people, at the unemployment office... <laughs> no, wait, the, you're the employment office. You know who you are. Yeah, the I will only office, do the, the appropriate office. amount of it each day. Yeah, not, not eight hours. No one... No one has ordered it from me. <laughs> I am not getting any money from it. Please. This is not my full-time job. I just don't have anything else to do except this here podcast. Yeah. Which also does not take too much time. Or give us any money as of now. So chill. Indeed, indeed. They can't chill. They won't. They never do. <laughs> um, yes. Do I have anything else? Oh yeah, I brought. Uh, I bought an awesome jacket. Oh yeah. Yes, I need to actually mention this because I will be wearing it on Wednesday, when it's um, my birthday to date this. But you don't know when my birthday is. Is but it, it not Thursday? No, fucking Wednesday, you bastard. Thirteenth. Yes. I thought it was the 14th. I'm born on the 13th, uh, Friday the 13th. Oh, right. That's Why how you remember it. do I think it's the 14th? I have it in my calendar as the 14th. Jesus fuck. What the fuck is on the 14th? Nothing. The quiz. Oh my god. The quiz. The pop quiz. Oh yeah. My brain is just jam. It's jam that someone shook and then poured out down the drain. That's what's happening in my head. Yes, but 
that's what's going on with me. So this is this episode has now been dated once you know <laughs> when my birthday is. Yes. But I'm kind of sad that I will not be 31 anymore. Also, yes, that's how old I am. <laughs> sad. Uh, but it's not because 31, see, 31 is a prime number. Mm. I like prime numbers. They're yes. like solid. Can't divide them. <laughs> but then I'll be... 32, mm. which is dividable by 2, which is kind of fun. <laughs> Although, you know, more fun would be if it were dividable by 5, because 5 is very nice. Mm. I like 5. Yeah, I mean, the next time that'll happen is in a few years, so that'll be fun. Yeah. When you're 35. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well... Hopefully, I'll have actual income at that point. <laughs> and, you know, the Finnish system of um, healthcare and education and, you know, everything is still going in some form. And, you know, you know, yeah, you know, in some form, it's all deteriorating around us, but mm. it's all good. Anyhow, enough about... Um, it always goes there, doesn't it? Just complaining about the government. There's a lot to complain about this government. All like, our we've, conversations. We've had no a lot what. of governments. Like, even the fucking... I bought a cool jacket. Also, healthcare sucks. Like, what? How did we... Yeah. How did that and also, I mean, this this government has a lot to... There's a lot to complain about this one. Even more mm. than the, like, Sipila one, because... Yeah. I mean, it's it's a mess. It is. But enough of Finnish politics. Yes, I don't know how it just happens. We can do a special Patreon <laughs> if we ever get a Patreon. We don't have a Patreon. Ask us for a Patreon so we'll make a Patreon. Yeah, and then no one knows what the fuck we're talking about, but it's it's a good it's a good course. Yeah, but we can explain it then. Anyway. Yeah, true. Shh. 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 Uh we have another two episodes to well discuss yeah and tell the next two yes a show and tell these is except <laughs> the show happened earlier when we watched the episodes yes uh but yours was the next one numerically yes yes episode three mr denton on doomsday that came out october 16th 59 so again the next week from episode two shockingly uh, so let's get into it. Fate's the name. Henry J. Fate. Riddled with guilt over his past as a master gunslinger, Al Denton just wants another drink, and he'll do anything to get it. But Fate, with a capital F, has other plans in store for him. And as Fate often does, it gives him a second chance, in the form of a gun. Forced to relive his past days as the fastest shooter in town, Al accepts the challenge to a duel. Nervous and out of practice, he prepares for this ordeal with a little extra performance enhancement from fate. But the real lesson from the mysterious potion salesman turns out to be the age-old adage, violence is never the answer, after all. Now, this is a western. That's why I didn't pick it. I think (laughs) westerns are fucking fucking, uh, boring as shit. 
no I offense to anyone. Like, I just can't handle Except Django yeah. Unchained. That was interesting. Oh, right. Yeah, like later westerns I'm familiar with. But I don't know a lot about westerns as a genre, as it turns out. So I read up on it. I think I watched a few spaghetti westerns, but... Yeah, I don't know what the difference is. Oh, spaghetti westerns are made uh, by Italian like companies. Maybe ah, not in Italy, but like... Makes sense. Uh, they're... An, they're Italian productions. Oh, so. all right. That's why they're called spaghetti, you know, because ah, Italians. That's that's insane. Yeah, <laughs> they couldn't just call them Italian westerns. That is crazy. Mm. Different times. Why don't they? Okay, this. I stolen this joke. <laughs> I know, I know. But why don't they call American ones hamburger? Yeah, right. Westerns. Hamburger westerns. Yeah, and yes, that. I can't source that joke, but I know I I stolen it <laughs> from somewhere. Yes, Instagram, as people do. Probably Instagram. No, Tumblr. All right, probably Tumblr. yeah. Yeah, sounds like a Tumblr <laughs> thing. It does. So yeah, I read up on westerns a little bit, and so I want to talk about this story, as it relates to what westerns are normally like, mm. and so then I'd like to bring up a couple of you know, ways that this differs from normal westerns or classic westerns, um, referring to some literature I found in general while we talk about this episode. Um, so, the first thing I looked up is whether they were actively making a lot of westerns during the time that this episode came out, um, and it turns out that yes, obviously. The peak of westerns, according to the Wikipedia page on Westerns was between 45 and 65. Yeah, of course. And so in 59, obviously, and in the 50s, they were making a lot of Westerns. Um, And when I looked them up, I was like, oh yeah, I've definitely heard of these films and these actors. Mm. I just never seen them because they're not my thing, really. And so when I was watching this episode, I was uh, thinking that it's a pretty standard Western setting with a lot of Western themes, but then I couldn't figure out what that really means to me, or um, what the aspects of a typical Western are. So I refer to uh, this book by Will Wright called uh, The Mythical Cowboy and Social Theory. And that's Will interesting. Wright. Yeah. Oh, I know that name from somewhere. It's very familiar to me as well. Yeah. Um, but he talks about, you know, familiar images in westerns and what he calls the cowboy myth so there's the lone stranger so that's like a cowboy a gunfighter Mm. whatever the frontier community farmers miners ranchers you know people uh the wilderness uh and then wilderness dangers uh then there's also you know the villains that are usually bankers uh you know ranchers Mm. other gunfighters attractive women and the uh, explanation here is very funny uh, what he lists as attractive women are school teachers daughters entertainers and prostitutes so that's the four categories of women in uh, westerns <laughs> it's not present here but it's it's funny um, and then you know mm-hmm. obviously it, the list goes on but that's what we can find here so we have all these things in the episode, but the plot is usually like, you know, the mysterious stranger comes out from the wilderness 
and he rescues everybody and he rescues the town and he gets the woman and respect and mm. everything goes great for the hero of the story uh, but not here crucially this is a western without any conflict there's nothing to save <laughs> the town's not in trouble there's not a person in trouble um, yeah. like, there's nothing at stake here which is interesting well yeah and this is like the stake at the start is kind of like um, Mr. Denton's dignity I suppose yeah. but he gets it immediately and that just leads to a circle of violence <laughs> yeah of course and he's very like he's, prescient uh... about it he's just like yeah and now there's just gonna be people there and I'm gonna die or they're gonna die more now than someone's me. gonna come kill me now that I have my groove back yeah <laughs> so the hero is also very different uh, talking about Aldenton here he's not like a traveler he doesn't come in he's not a mysterious stranger he's very familiar to the town mm. he's like a local drunk getting bullied by you know very comedic uh, wild west looking dudes outside the saloon um, it's even like emphasized at the very beginning of the episode when we uh, pan on like an actual person coming into town riding on a carriage with Wild Westy music in the background. But then we immediately pan mm. to Al, who's getting kicked out of a saloon, and these people bullying him. Uh, so it's not that guy that we're talking about, it's this other pathetic dude. Mm. Um, and. Yeah, like I said, the community doesn't really need saving. There's nothing that he has to do this for. And so then all this violence is really for nothing, which is the, I think, the message of this episode, obviously. There's a nonviolent message to it. Yeah, I didn't think about... Well, I don't know Westerns that well, so... Yeah. Obviously didn't think about that. But yeah, there was nothing to save. It's just like... You just might get some violence, uh, like violence that doesn't lead anywhere. Yeah, violence for violence's sake, and he's also tired of it. Mm. Like he's very apathetic about this life that he has to live, and like, why? Who's telling you to live like this? Yeah, I guess. Although I, I thought it was interesting that he kind of got he, he got his groove back, like he sobered up because of the violence, like yeah. he gets his dignity back, but then like the gun gives him the chance to like, well, not show his skill because it's pr- pretty clear that Henry J. Fate <laughs> yeah. um, is causing him to make some perfect shots, but yeah. he gets like his dignity back and the uh, willpower to just say no. Wow, that's a bad message. <laughs> no to violence. J- no no to, like, I, I was talking about alcohol. Like, just oh, say to no alcohol. to alcohol. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, not just the, not say the end. no. Yeah, exactly. I don't need any more. I'm going to go shave my beard and then be depressed that I have to do a duel. Yeah. Um, so then... But, I mean, there's also the guilt is a very central image of this um, mm. uh, person, you know. He had to shoot a 16-year-old, I think, in a, in a duel earlier. And so he's really... That's when he stopped, I think, maybe, and started... He started drinking before that, uh, apparently, but... 
Also, it's very weird what the timeline is. He's doing this whole monologue outside the barber shop. But, um, yeah, so that's, I think, why he stopped, because he shot a teenager. But then he's also now still choosing violence again and getting his life back, because what else is there? Yeah, he's kind of resigned to his fate. His fate, yes. Mm. Uh, not heavy-handed at all, Rod. It's it's really not a no, allegorical Rod, Rod at is all. A, Rod is an excellent writer who does <laughs> not... Yeah. yeah, I read that... Um, I, I don't know if it was like a plan to name uh, Liz to something like hope or patience or something <laughs> or if it was a note from someone that they're glad that he didn't mm-hmm. uh, maybe I'm mixing this up but that would have been like um, I think the critic uh, I was reading Presnell was saying that it's something that Rod would have done otherwise but this is not one of his more like heavy-handed episodes it's more subdued even though it's still very it's it's very out there but, show don't uh, tell people show don't tell yeah um, yeah. So here's how we come to fate, not with a capital F, but with a small f, or destiny, as the synonym is. Wright again says uh, that the standard cowboy story is a cultural drama of individualism. The cowboy symbolizes individualist ideas, as does the rugged scenery of the American West. All the images of the West, cowboy hats, horses, buffalo, Red Rock Canyons, carry the cultural message of freedom, equality, private property, civility, and the promise of individualism. Uh, Wright goes into a lot of, uh, you know, economic and social theory, like Marx and everything like that, which is not what I'm going to get into, but it's it's worth the read. It's pretty interesting. But what I was interested in is the individualism part in this story. Um, both... Denton and his rival, this young guy who challenges him to a duel, uh, take the potion from fate that helps them shoot better because mm. they want to win by all means necessary. They want to feed their own individualism and be the best gunslinger in town or whatever the hell. The best. The best. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's what all these westerns are about. It's just like a macho shootout of who's the best person to shoot a gun. Like a shoot 'em up. Mm, very phallic in that way. <laughs> yeah, you would say that. Yeah. Yes. Who 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 falls over from the um, excretions of the phallic object? Exactly. That's what guns are all about. Mm-hmm. They're they're interesting in that way. Um, <laughs> the moment where they both realize that they're taking the same potion is is really funny to me because that the. the uh, the potion is supposed to last for 10 seconds and then you're mm. supposed to shoot them up in that time. They definitely take more than 10 seconds. Yes, yes they, they just stand guns. around and just like position <laughs> themselves. Each other. <laughs> Which it means that if both of them are the best, then no one's the best. And so they obviously just cripple each other <laughs> with the guns and they can't mm. shoot again. Um, so they just basically ruin each other's chances of ever being good shooters ever again and uh the young guy is really pissed off about it but like al is very relieved it's a blessing so their fate <laughs> or destiny isn't isn't this anymore 
Al's very relieved. Mm. But crucially, like, the young guy who still has his life ahead of him and still maybe believes in these ideals is, is very pissed. And they've helped each other achieve it. So that's a nice message there, with a violent way. Very violently, by shooting each other in the hand. But still... Mm. Um... <laughs> Another point about that scene, there's nothing to do with anything, but I love the doctor character in that scene. Who just comes up and just wraps his hand and immediately goes, nah, this hand is fucked. You're never gonna shoot again. How does he know that? Um, there's no there's no wound, there's no blood, just nothing. He's just fucked up his own hand. Yeah, I wondered, was it supposed to like, be that the bullet hit the gun in a way that there wouldn't be blood, but it just yeah. like would twist it somehow. Or yeah, I don't something. get what the bullets hit. Like, did they miss? And yeah, I like... thought they hit the um, uh, like gun itself. Yeah. So that they, it right. would like pull it out of their hand or something. Oh. But I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was supposed to hit, but you can't show blood in that way. Uh, it can't be too gruesome this or isn't something. a Tarantino movie <laughs> yeah. I don't know how TV was in 59 when kids are watching this show kids were very into this show so maybe it can't be too mm. then again I don't know how gory westerns are I doubt there's like guts hanging mm. out I don't think the like westerns from this era or even the 70s and 60s were that bloody like there was blood yeah. But it was like bullet wound and then, you know, like little right. trickle comes out and, you know, hands might be red. But Yeah, it was like Marvel movie injuries. Where, yeah, it's not know, like no Motel anything. or something. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not Saw. Mm. There's a some kind of secrecy there. Yeah. Yeah, but so there's a lot of societal roles for men in this. Definitely. Mm. Um and what this genre has to say about them specifically. Again, Wright goes into a lot of economic stuff that I'm not interested in for this, but he does say that the cowboy myth explains some market relations, the relations of individualism using cultural imagery. And in an entertaining way, it suggests to people in market society what values they should have, what attitudes bring success, and what actions they should take. Mm. So he talks about this cowboy myth or Western stories as a sort of um, social myth for, you know, individual market society, which is, you know, cool for it being in the 50s, 60s, like a, like a huge genre. Mm. Um, he also says there's themes of, quote, open frontier, violence as a civil necessity, white male superiority, and an endlessly productive environment. Yeah, and so, obviously, like, uh, there's, like, element of a manifest destiny, mm, like, conquering the um, wilds. Hugely, yeah. Which are sometimes represented by people, but, you mm. know... <laughs> oh, often, yeah. But we don't have that in this What is West? Oh, West. I'm turning into Dracula. What is West? Not people of any kind, surely, that we have to take care of. Yeah... <laughs> Anywho, yeah, there's none of that in here, which I'm kind of thankful for. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, more than this, you know, market society view that Wright takes, it's 
more crucial for this episode to look at it in terms of I think masculinity and individuality. So that's, there's a lot of that. That's actually something that I thought about Denton because Denton is very soft. I'm not sure you're sure I'm using the word right, but he's well, he's maybe not soft spoken, but mm. his voice is very soft. He doesn't raise yeah. his voice, and it doesn't. I didn't get the feeling that okay, this is the image of masculinity. Yeah, and he's not very, you know, macho in the way that mm. those comedic <laughs> Wild Westy guys are at the beginning. Yeah, they're like very stereotypical, you know, Wild West masculine. Mm. I mean, he's like, you know, he's crying, like he's sad. He's talking about his past trauma to this woman that he's into, Liz. Um, also, there's not like a aspect of, you know, winning her over in the end or something. Like they get mm. together or whatever. Like they're not clearly a romantic couple in any way. Mm. So that's another way that this differs from... You know, westerns. First few episodes really have pitiable characters, don't they? The mm, show just mm. bullying these main characters. Yeah. Even in the opening narration. It's like, look at this fucking guy. Yeah. I actually, like, at the beginning when you see, like, Denton just, like, drinking alcohol and uh, just crying because he knows that he's like in a very bad state and can't uh. stop like uh like okay i've never i've never had a chemical dependency to alcohol uh. but i've had my problems with yeah. alcohol so like this kind of hit me yeah i i like stories about alcoholics there's something in them that's just it's it's very real and like human and relatable and like vulnerable yeah this this isn't like a this isn't anything different yeah and i'm just like i used to have the problem that uh if i started drinking i wouldn't stop yeah in a single evening but then um i wouldn't feel the urge to drink or feel the need physic any kind of physical need Mm. to drink like the next day or something like that. Yeah, it wasn't like a daily, yeah. Yeah, but then, like, like, still, I've been sober for, like, three and a half years, Ooh. and I still sometimes get the, like, urge to drink yeah. in social situations because they exhaust me and I... It was easier to be social mm. when I drank, but, yeah. yeah. So this... These parts really like hit me, uh, and that's why I thought about like doing uh, this, like writing about that episode. But I then decided that I I like the other one more. Yeah, but yeah, there's this... a lot in this episode about addiction. Also, you could also look at it from that angle. I just uh, I latched onto <laughs> westerns mm. for some reason here. Yeah, but it kind of drops the like uh, addiction really easily mm. oh yeah he, like he yeah really he, does. Get, he get does get <laughs> offered like denton does get offered like a drink but he's just like mm. no and it the, is really like movie alcoholism where you know you're sad and so you're drinking on the couch and having mm. a mental breakdown but then the second things get better for you it's yeah like, when that one thing that breaks you from it happens then you yeah. you just drop the habit like yeah i 
sometimes something happens and then you decide okay i'm gonna get clean but yeah. it in real life but it doesn't happen just like mm. okay and now i don't feel the urge and yeah. maybe denton feels the urge to drink but it doesn't like we aren't shown that so it's not really a theme in mm. the episode yeah like, like real life alcoholics are still alcoholics when they're happy or they seem happy or they're doing things and being productive yeah whatever so it's it's very funny how it's portrayed in in media nice hitting the table there by the way yeah i wasn't gonna mention it but it's yeah it wasn't the table it was my laptop and i lampshade that not a professional Mm. as you can probably tell yeah so do you have anything else uh not for this no i think the message here is like for me at least i was thinking about um it's so easy to tell someone to not do something anymore or not understand why someone thinks that they have to be on this sort of life path that's destroying them but there's Mm. it's more complicated than that you uh don't always see a way out and that's really what a the cycle of violence here is about yeah so yes uh i had like i wanted to point this out because i thought of this and fate is an interesting character because as in henry j fate Mm -hmm. because he's kind of like a pitchman in a way like he's selling knickknacks and then he's gonna he sells this just this right thing that's gonna end up you uh, end up with you like getting to where you're supposed to go. Yeah, I guess. And uh, we are actually going to get one of my favorite episodes that I did watch when I, you know, before we started this, was an episode I think called "What You Need." Mm. That also has a pitchman who oh, sells things. What's with these pitchmen? Yeah, uh, this is the thing. Like, <laughs> I, I'm wondering if there's like a like a cultural thing about them maybe we should research that a bit but yeah a podcast should be called Pitchman yeah Henry J. Fate isn't exactly a Pitchman but has kind of that same air of like I'm selling everything and it's kind of like when in some movies and shows you have a curio shop or like an Mm. antique store and then they sell you that magical thing that makes the story happen that comes with a price yes yeah, it's also a similar character to Death, I suppose. Like this mythical, mythical guy who shows up in a weird hat and he's, mm. you know, helping you? Question or, mark? Yeah. It's his whole life's purpose and then he just leaves. Yeah. yeah. So he is the mysterious stranger in this western, not Al Denton. It's, it's fate. Mm. Yeah. If there's nothing more? Uh, no. Let's wrap up this Western. Indeed. And let's go to something more contemporary. Hmm. Maybe. (laughs) Oh, you know, he said I was the most difficult star he'd ever worked with. The 16mm Shrine. Barbara Jean Trenton. 
In her day, she was the star of movies like A Farewell Without Tears and A Night in Paris. Now, locked in a tomb of her own making, she spends her days in her home theatre, behind the curtains, away from the sun, let alone the limelight. No roles in sight, not for women of yesteryear. But her agent, one Danny Weiss, draws her out. A new role is an offer. But it is not up to her standards. Showcase? Mine. And she will not be cast as a mother. Back home, her agent tries one more time and brings a man from her past to visit her former leading man. But it is not a man from her past, it is a stranger from the present. Ravaged by time, living in a totally different world, it is not him she was looking for. Late at night, Barbara Jean watches her greatest moments on celluloid once more, and wishes she could be there. And perhaps it was because she wished upon another star of yesteryear. Her agent couldn't find her next morning. Only after he turns on the projector does he find her. Plead as he might, she won't come back. She is where and when she wants to be. In the celluloid moment. So, the 16mm shrine aired October 23rd, 1959. It was directed by one Mitchell Lazen. Not sure if I'm pronouncing Lazen correctly, but... Maybe. That's how it's spelled, and English <laughs> being what it is, you know, I... I don't quite know how to pronounce, <laughs> because in English, whatever word can be pronounced whatever way. I don't think he minds. You might even... Pronounced parlance, parlance. You might, you might do that. Mm. One yeah. might do that. Possibly. Oh, interesting <laughs> reference there. I wonder what it was a reference mm. to. Who knows? When we, when we get a Patreon, you'll find out. <laughs> All my shame. Yeah. At pronouncing words the French way for no reason. Mm-hmm. I'm not French. He most certainly is not. <laughs> Thank God. Sorry. French yes. people are fine. Cool. I have seen this man's sense of style. He most certainly is not French. <laughs> hey now. <laughs> Some You're French people star. dress like this. Some. Some. In like... Smaller towns, I'm sure. If they're hauling wood, I don't know. French hicks. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's an idea, isn't it? That is a way to, I guess, describe how I dress. If anyone asks, French hick. Mm-hmm. And then no one knows what that means, but it's 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 a new thing. Hmm. 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 Sure. What are we talking about? <laughs> yes. Mitchell Lazen, the director. According to the uh, Twilight Zone companion, he had 
kind of experience similar to the main character in this uh, episode. And according to George Clemens, who is, by the way, I don't remember how he was related to um, him, but George Clemens, I haven't written down his role. God damn it. Anyhow, he is part of the production somehow, and he is related, or was, he might be dead, uh, <laughs> to one Mark Twain. Oh, interesting. Whose actual name was Clemens. I don't remember his actual hmm. name, but... Yes, uh, but yes, according to George Clemens, um, Mitchell lived beyond his means to keep up an image. Mm. And what he means by that is that even though he didn't have like jobs and he didn't work on like big movies anymore, like he used to, he drove around in a Rolls Royce and had a chauffeur. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And uh, he wanted to make TV, like, old Hollywood movies. Yeah. I don't quite know what that means. The companion doesn't go into that, but he couldn't really, like... He couldn't transition to mm. TV. So, yeah. yeah. I guess especially at that time, people saw it as lesser, and I think they still do, I guess. Like, oh, no, I have to make TV. I'm not sure... I'm not sure anymore. Might Maybe not be. now. We yeah. have prestige TV, yeah, for so sure. yeah, I don't think anyone's pissed about working on like Succession or something. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's it's big money. Even though actually this era, this era uh, that uh, the like Alfred Hitchcock presents and the Twilight Zone came out, that was called um, no wait even before that. When they had a lot of live shows and like that kind of stuff. The era before this is called the golden age of TV. Oh, right. Although personally, I called this era that we live in <laughs> slightly earlier, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when, yeah, not everyone tried to make their own Game of Thrones and that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. But once the... Or is the golden age of tv because we have such great television definitely yeah even though we might you know it comes from netflix and stuff and mm. you know not really from television <laughs> yeah you do really have to look for it mm. um i guess also because there's just so much stuff that there's good stuff out there but it's just i mean i guess in any decade it's just being drowned by so much bullshit yeah but we, to... there's a lot more content around now mm. than ever before according to uh the producer of the episode buck houghton h-o-u-g-h-t-o-n mm -hmm. um he probably poured the feelings that the bitterness he had from like the world having changed uh, into this episode and like how he didn't fit in it anymore kind of like Barbara Jean Trenton yeah but the episode stars Ida Lupino as Barbara Jean Trenton don't know why I stressed the word Jean there but you know <laughs> so it goes it's a good name Mm. And 
I quickly checked what movies she's been in and I didn't recognize any. <laughs> but more importantly than any movie on this earth, she has been in two episodes of Columbo. Oh. Hot diggity daffodils. Very good. I would give my... I was going to say my left testicle, but that doesn't exist anymore, so, you know. Um, Such a long pause in what I would give. What body part would I give for Columbo? Uh, to be an, just an extra in uh, Columbo. Uh, oh, well. Yeah. So it goes. And uh, Martin Balsam as Danny Weiss. And I didn't know Martin Balsam from anywhere, but he's, I looked him up because, well, he's basically the other, not a main character, but a primary character. And uh, his surname was interesting. But he, ha- he has been in at least one project that we might all know. Hitchcock's Psycho. Oh, as Detective Milton Arbogast. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I don't either. I don't remember if Arbogast was very prominent in the film version. I haven't seen Psycho for years, so I might not just remember. Yeah, I think I saw it last detail. year last, so... Yeah. yeah. Hmm. But that was interesting. Also. Finally, something I've seen from these <laughs> from these old old movies and shows. Haven't you seen Columbo? No, never. And you sit there in my house. In my home, in jeans. <laughs> I put on jeans for this man. <laughs> so did I. I mean, I went outside, so it's less weird. But... <laughs> so disappointed. Just rage. I, I, I'm, I'm rage shaking in your my eyes. head. I'm shaking my head. Rage and disappointment. So, yeah. Obviously, this has a lot of themes of age. Like, we discuss a lot of a lot of um, how the main character, Barbara Jean, has gotten older and the world has changed mm. and she can't get any roles because she has gotten older. Although... She looks exactly the same as, like, 20 (laughs) years previous. Yeah, she really does. But then she just doesn't get roles, and I'm like, why? She's not old, either. She's not, you know... Yeah, like, okay, I'm gonna talk about it later. Later, but, like, if she looked different, then I would understand that she would get different kind of roles. Mm. But she just looks gorgeous. Yeah, they could have... I don't know, like aged her up a little bit or something. Yeah, and she has this. a gorgeous old Hollywood sound uh, voice, yeah. like this kind of slightly deeper yeah, voice. Yeah, like she's she's beautiful. I don't know what's mm. going on here. It's like not an old person at all. Yeah, I didn't actually check how old uh, Ida. Actually, I'm not sure if it's Ida. Ida is how you pronounce it in yeah, I don't know. Uh, Finnish, but Ida? No, that sounds wrong. That sounds weird. Ida. A, yeah. Ida Lupino. Know. Good surname, by the way. Really like that mm. surname. She's 
probably meant to be in her 40s or something like if if her movie career was 25 years ago then mm, she could yeah, have been I early 20s, that, the 20s. Well. they don't say yeah. how old she is but yeah and it would make sense that her like male co-star would be slightly older so yeah he looks older yeah he's in his 60s or something yeah and also yeah yeah anywho um but yeah uh, the themes about age and such made me kind of think that it's comparable to one for the angels in mm-hmm. a way because they have the same kind of theme of it's your time to go mm. the world has moved on you're going to die or you aren't gonna get roles except you know big parts now because you're old and about accepting your supposedly natural situation and okay i have actually two readings here about this episode yeah uh one is what i call the quote-unquote intended reading Mm. i will discuss a bit about the intended the quotes around it but the intended reading i felt at least on the first watch were that you should follow society's expectation for age the opening narration says once brilliant star in a firmament no longer a part of the sky eclipsed by the movement of earth and time so referring to the firmament the cosmos the natural world is used to make it seem natural that she no longer gets roles Mm. that it's just how things are and we can't do anything about it and also there's a theme of you should appreciate what you what's given to you maybe slightly less because like the producer who she goes to talk to studio person is kind of an ass and even like her agent goes and like rips him a new one and she can only get a role as a mother and i kind of wondered if this was sort of a hint at like at your age you should be a mother in addition to like this is the only kind of role you can act it's also a role that you should be yeah for sure Mm. and she is sort of alone she doesn't have children or husband which at that time were like well that have a age extremely weird yeah Uh all these outcast characters who don't have families yeah and at the same time, like, uh, all her, like, actor friends, people she knew, are, like... Actually, I didn't check if she only talked about, like, male actors or were there any female actors when she talked about, like, her old friends and inviting them over. Oh, yeah. Now that you say that, there's no women there. Yeah, but I think in the last uh, ending sequence... There are, like, when she's in the yeah, yeah, celluloid, yeah. so there might have been. Anyhow, but they're, like, they're dead, uh, or they've changed their occupation. And I'm like, they're dead? She's, like, 40. What <laughs> age are they? I mean, if they're her male counterparts, they could be 20 to 
30 years older than she is. Mm, that's true. In, like, romances. Yeah, and, like, male actors get more leeway on that. Yeah. 40-year-old man, prime of his life. This 40-year-old woman, grave. Why aren't you in the grave? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Or why don't you have, a, have children? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I, I felt like that was the intended reading, like, you should find your appropriate place in the world that's appropriate for your age. Mm. Um, but then I wanted to make a resisting reading for this. If you don't know what a resisting reading is, it's basically like when you can tell what a piece of media is trying to convey and then you try to read it another way. This is a, a lot of feminist theory mm-hmm. and uh, analysis has used uh, resisting readings and also queer uh, analysis and and um, like, well, minority viewpoint readings. Yeah. Yeah. So, after a certain age, women in Hollywood don't get big roles, and that's shown like it's a natural thing, or they are given roles that they're supposed to be in real life, like mothers, and Barbara Barbara doesn't have a place in Hollywood because. There's no roles for women like her. And it's not about nature. It's about Hollywood and how... And media in general. We still have this problem that we don't have stories, especially about older women, except if they're like mothers. And being a mother is central to the plot. Yeah. So... She comes across in this resisting reading, more of a person who is trying to resist this status quo that you are you are supposed to take these certain roles and be in certain roles. And it kind of made me think of the yellow wallpaper by... Okay, let me go to the next room. I have uh, the yellow wallpaper there, so... <laughs> I can't remember who it's by. Oh. The receipts. Yeah. <coughs> the Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Yes. And uh, the Yellow Wallpaper is basically about a woman who is treated for her mental il- illness but the treatment is seclusion or not and the treatment makes her mental illness get even worse Mm. so the men are offering her a treatment but that treatment only makes it worse it's kind of similar to what's happening in the 16mm shrine where the men in her life are trying to offer these things but they're just pushing her further and further into her like yeah secluded little well secluded little tomb basically <laughs> and it's just going she's going up harder into her delusions 
because she is not allowed to exist in the real world, so she escapes to the unreal world. Yeah, not in the way she wants to, at least. Yeah, exactly. And because she supposedly has moved beyond a certain age, an appropriate time in her life, she moves to a dimension where time has no meaning and time kind of overlaps with itself. Mm. There was... I didn't really... this... I didn't really use this as a source for my analysis. Uh, I'm saying it wrong again. Analysis. Analysis. Words. Christ on a donkey. But yes, an essay by Richard Hanley uh, called Where is the Twilight Zone? Mm -hmm. In Philosophy in the Twilight Zone. And mm, he he talks about a lot of big brain stuff. (laughs) So, you know, I'm not that uh, well-versed in uh, versed worst uh, in philosophy especially this kind of philosophy to understand this but he basically talks about how the twilight zone is another dimension and how that would work but yeah that big brain stuff like <laughs> I, I can't explain it to but it inspired me to think that Barbara Trenton might not be in a, another spatial dimension, but a temporal one. So she is in a time outside of time, in a way, that we just can't perceive normally. Yeah. And that's why she can kind of affect the spatial dimensions, because she's kind of there, but also kind of isn't, because she's like kind of around the corner mm. of dimensions. So she's there, but she we can't see her. Yeah. And, and that really comes up at the end, too, when, you know, not really sure if she is in the real world or in the film projection, you know, like, she's in her house in, in the film, and, you know, she's leaving behind this handkerchief or whatever it is. and Yeah, uh, well, uh, as the maid says, she is not here, not as you as I are. Yeah, right. Or something like that. That wasn't a perfect quote, I think. <laughs> but anyway, gist of it. And yeah, she is kind of in the fifth dimension that Rod mm. Serling talked about. Finally. Yes. (laughs) Fifth episode. No, fourth episode. Fifth dimension. Mm -hmm. We got there. Yeah, but I I did say that this is a resisting reading, but then I read in the Twilight Zone Companion about the director's experiences, and I was wondering if, in fact, this was kind of the intended reading, that Mm. she is left outside the world, so she has to escape. To this unreal world, this other dimension, or was this a piece of self-criticism by the director? Because 
Danny is kind of positive at the end because she knows that this is what Barbara would have wanted. Yeah. Like, he does this sp- spiel about um, wishing upon a star or something. Like yeah. That. Something or something. Didn't write it down. He's very supportive of uh, <laughs> whatever she's doing. Yeah, because he... Not did... really at the beginning, but she's he's there for her. Well, I think he's just supportive in a different way. Yeah. Like, he's trying to get her back to, like, the world, but it doesn't work. So, what do you think about the ending? Like, what, what, what was the, like, point? Like, was it more that it's it says, because it was written by Rod Serling, mm. but was it trying to say that you should just, you know, accept your place, kind of? Or was it more that it's like, is there an aspect of just like, this is what happened, the society just pushes some people into this, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's very different from the second episode, which was very similar thematically, like aging and accepting your uh, aging and probable death that's coming soon Mm -hmm. after you age and, like, not being important in the world anymore. But in the second episode, he accepts what's happening and he goes very happily to the afterlife and it's like oh well my life is just done like it's it's fine like the younger generation must take over which mm. is very much what's happening here but the the difference is that she doesn't accept that like she still wants to be young and it's more important for her to be young and still be relevant and do all these things that she loves like she can't accept that she is just older and she will age and die and not be important um so it might honestly have a lot to do with that. It's the first episode with a female main character, so there's a lot more. There's a lot more pressure for her, I guess, to stay in that perfect state of youth and beauty and relevance. And other people are telling her that she can't do the things that she loves anymore constantly because she's quote old. Yeah, and this was the 50s, so it was a very gendered time. So the themes, even though, even if they are superficially different, there's a difference, or superficially seem the same, Mm. then uh, there's a difference because the gender that the themes are looked through is has changed yeah and that's really the only variable between episode four and two is what gender these people are yeah but yeah that's most what i have for this episode this is just like i'm not quite sure what to make of this episode in the way that is it like saying that uh, women should just like accept their place like yeah again there's not like a big twist i guess like what did you call them snappers yeah Um. it's not a snapper ending but it is a sort of like a haunting one yeah because she moves to this even though danny has this like that kind of moment that okay barbara got what she wanted 
and hopefully is happy. We aren't mm. sure of that. Like still what happened there was like uncanny and unexplainable. Mm. I mean, she is in a way like still living up to the societies and the film industry's expectations mm. in a way that she is staying, you know, young forever, which is what they really want. Yeah. Um she's just doing it in a in a spooky supernatural way um that these uh producer types didn't think was possible but yeah. she is living up to those expectations for sure by yeah. moving into the film. Yeah. But um what do you think happens or where she is after the tape runs out? Yeah. Is she just in this kind of world of stories? Maybe it is just rewinding this party that she's having over and over again. Mm. I like to think it's like a really spooky thing like that, which they they could have really added. The fucking director guy, his not the director guy, the agent guy, just sitting there rewinding her tapes now and looking yeah, at her. Yeah, that's, that's the reason why I don't think that yeah. that's what happens, because they would have showed it. That would have been a very yeah, that would have been Yeah, that would have been fun. Yeah. But I feel like there was a kind of, she has moved on, whether by death mm. or by entering this realm of... Yeah. Yeah, so the thing is that she looks great. Yeah. She looks great, and um, why you wouldn't like give her a young woman's role if she looks mm. exactly like she did 20 years ago? Right. I mean, it's not much as different, like, in the 2000s, like, in this century. It's not that much different, honestly. Mm. This isn't my point, but I can't remember whose it was, um, because it is genuinely, like, a TikTok conversation between people. But uh, about, like, Bridget Jones, if you've seen that movie, mm. where the whole point is that she's uh, unattractive, when when you look at her and you look at the movie, like, no, she isn't. Um, and even if she was, like, that is the this whole point. This might have been a you know? um, TikTok thing, but also this was also a Tumblr thing. Oh, for that. sure, yeah. So, As things often are, yeah. I can't honestly yeah. remember where I saw people talk about that, but it's, it's really interesting because when I... you look back at, like, being younger and seeing those movies, it's so heavily pushed upon you that that's true because mm. they constantly tell you, like, she's unattractive and she yeah. can't get a man. And when no, like, what's happening? Yeah, yeah. Like, she's only unattractive in the way that you are taught yeah. to find her attractive, unattractive. Yeah, and that's and... exactly what's happening here. It's like, oh, women over 40. They don't do romance. They don't have completely unattra- uh, unrealistic. Yeah, it's weird. Without it being the whole point, like you said about being like in the mother role, like that's the whole role in that case. Yeah, There's and it's apparently it. just a nice showcase, which sounds like you know it's good publicity. <laughs> yeah, like I can understand that she doesn't want to do that, and it's it's come up in a lot of stuff that you know, especially women in the film industry feel like they get looped into 
being the mob or being like never the main character, never with any nuance. Yeah, after a certain age, you just like. Yeah, what are movies with forty-year-old women as the protagonist? What are the what are they? Because I can't genuinely name a single. Yeah, unless thing. they are like, oh, I'm so old and I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to find romance. And then it's about how it's so hard to get romance because, you know, I'm so, just so old. You're right. fucking 40. Exactly. It's like, not your life's not over. What is happening? Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, yeah. So basically, to people listening to this, if you're 30, 40, 50, even 60, like, you aren't that old. Like, yeah. 60 starts being like, Young old, <laughs> yeah. basically, like people just don't know enough middle-aged people, and what they're or, like. Yeah, genuinely. or even older people. Yeah, and we kind of have, like, okay, so uh, I've said that I'm a writer, and uh, but I haven't gotten, well, I've gotten some stuff published, but it's usually been through a friend in a student magazine that I might have been the chief editor of at <laughs> one point. Yeah. Then you hear these stories about, oh, this young person aged 21 published mm. uh, his third book. Right. And then they were like, okay, sure, yeah. And these are the stories that we hear, like, we mm. have these, like, most of our media is about 20-year-olds. Yeah, it might be stories. More yeah, often. it might be moving a bit towards, like, 30-year-olds now, because mm. a certain, like, millennials are getting older. But the most marketable, like, uh, cohort are, like, 20-year-olds. Yeah. Always have been. They make the money. So characters are that age but it also creates this illusion that you need to achieve everything then yeah and like success stories that you get in news and stuff it's always like a 20 year old some fucking 27 year old (laughs) (laughs) pipsqueak is uh, just like getting the job of their dreams and is now a ceo or some bullshit yeah it's always like isn't it so impressive that this person is young it's like okay, I mean, yeah, and it I don't know. kind of creates this like they don't directly say that yeah. okay, I'm, when if you haven't achieved that much, um, when and you are older, just forget about it. But that that's the right. thing. If you are thirty, start that book that you wanted to write. Yeah, and, and there's uh, a lot of people who started writing when they were like a bit older, older yeah. than twenty at least. You know, like you're. It's cool. Yeah. Do the thing that you want to do. Do Like, if it's a creative thing, do that thing. If it's something else, do that thing. Like, you have time. Uh. And even if, like, yeah, sure. Tomorrow, a car might run over you. This is, this yeah. is a fact. Except for yeah. me, because I don't go out. <laughs> Actually, now I do. I go for walkies. I might die of this bronchitis. Just tomorrow. <laughs> We're all here. It's a fragile existence. Yeah. But the thing is, the, those 20-year-olds, and sorry for the 20-year-olds and younger, you know, this is this is not like, I'm not trying to shit on you. Yeah, you're chill. But, it's cool. But the whole, I'm, I'm talking to the older, older folks now. Yeah. Uh, us older folks. 
me. <laughs> Over 30. Oh, very old. Yes. Hollywood old. Mm-hmm. But those young people, they might be run over by the same car. So yeah. you have the same chance. Just do the thing. Yeah. And then there's, of course, like, you know, if you have enough money and that kind of stuff. But, you know, that sadly is something that is a problem. And it is a problem for everyone. Uh. But age isn't the factor. So if you yeah. if you want to do the thing, you go fucking do the thing. Yeah. Like, like at uh, work, there's a lot of older people who are like, well, I'd love to get another job, especially. But, but like, it's too late for me to do like another the fucking the time's gonna go anyway mm. <laughs> like you're just still gonna live those like five years that it would take you to get another degree you're still gonna be here just yeah. like not <laughs> doing the thing that you want to do like well, it's ridiculous although uh, i have to say like we are again like uh talking from a, the point of view of a Finnish society where you know yeah, getting yeah, um, yeah, yeah. getting an, uh, a new education is easier than Fair, other places yeah. even though our government is really hell-bent on making yeah. it as hard as possible now because you know they want everyone to get a job but not to get re-educated or something no. because you know logic yeah definitely big big caveat if you have the means <laughs> to right do this wing, thing obviously yes right-wing government logic Yeah. Everyone needs to do a job, but don't get educated. Don't get an education to do the job. Just know it. Just know yep. what to do. And we have circled back to Finnish politics. It's a full circle. It's the Can circle of life. Indeed. And I think this is a good point for us, unless you have something more to just go to the uh, finale. About the episodes? No. <laughs> about Finnish politics? Yes. So let's let's go. Oh, Uh, one thing that I do want to say is that for sources for this mm. uh, episode, I used The Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Scott Zerke. Zerke. I have no idea. Uh, Z-I-R-C-E-E. -E. A lot of good surnames this episode. Indeed. And Philosophy in the Twilight Zone, edited by Noel Carroll and Lester H. Hunt. Yes. And IMDB for information about uh, people's previous projects and such. Yeah. Uh, like I mentioned, I had Will Wright's The Mythical Cowboy and Social Theory for all the cowboy stuff. Um, as well as, you know, the Wikipedia page for Western for all those years. Also, I looked at Critical History of Television's The Twilight Zone by Don Presnell and Marty McGee. As always, it's, McGee. A, it's a good book. McGee. Someone -E. actually named McGee. Yeah. Isn't that the guy, the supernatural guy? Eh? It's just his name. The supernatural d d producer? Eh? Different guy. <laughs> But his name is just McGee. There's no f first name. Eh? I don't know. He did a lot of stuff. Right. Well, like Supernatural. Apparently so. Yeah. Anyhow, yes. Continue. <laughs> Those were the ones. Yes. Okay, good. Good. And uh, if you want some more, you can find us on Instagram and Tumblr at That's Not Fair Pod. All in one. No <laughs> apostrophes. And if you'd be so kind, leave us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice. 
and until we meet again in the Twilight Zone.